hold this microphone close to my mouth. It's been a long time since I preached with a handheld microphone. And I know you have to hold it close. So I'm going to try to remember that. And uh, notice, you notice that I'm not doing that and letting you down too low. Just kind of raise your hand and let me give me a signal. <laughs> Even you folks at home are giving signals. I send you a note and say, God bless you for being with us today. It's an honor to be in the house of the Lord, whether you're sitting in front of a screen watching this or sitting right here with us in this church building. It's an honor to be where God is present. God is ready to do great and mighty things for his people. And I believe that time is today, don't you? I believe that time is now. I'm going to preach a message to you this morning that may not be exactly the message you would think about for Palm Sunday. This, by the way, is the Sunday before Easter. So Palm Sunday is the time that Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's an important thing. But this coming Friday is Good Friday. That's the time that we honor the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. My message to you this morning is the cross of Calvary. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that the Holy Spirit will come upon me with great and mightier anointing that I've known in the past. I pray that your power will reveal your word, enlighten truth to our hearts, help us to see the great mighty message of the cross and how its power in our lives makes all the difference. I ask the Holy Spirit will perform this today as we declare your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's no way to stress beyond need the importance and value of the cross of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul went to the Corinthians as a missionary to establish the truth, build a church of believers, and he said to them, as he wrote his letter back to them, commemorating his time there and giving them instructions for going forward in their service to the Lord, he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Before that, he said, I did not come to you with the enticing words of men's wisdom. I didn't come to you with plausible explanations, with depths of philosophy, and with enticing words. I came to you only in the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. And I determined to know only that message as I preached his word and his truth to you. That's what built the Corinthian church, and that's what's built the church of Jesus Christ throughout the ages. It rests on his cross and his resurrection. Calvary is a supernatural place. Yes, it's a place of foreboding. It's a place of darkness where shadows are extreme, and midnight seems to be perpetual. It's a place of great sorrow. It's a place of agony. It's a place where burdens are felt like none other. Yes, it is a place that draws you down into sorrow unless you know the whole story of the victory. But in it all, while Jesus died on the cross, the supernatural power of God was at work 
so that from that time forth the world would always know as the gospel was written the power and the victory of the cross of Jesus Christ. It's a supernatural place. God performed miracles while Jesus was being crucified. There are six distinct miracles of Calvary that I've studied over the years. And I want to share them with you today just to let you know how God was powerfully, supernaturally at work during the period of time that Jesus was dying on the cross. After they had nailed him to the cross and lifted him up, jarred his body as the cross set down into the hole in the ground and left him there to hang until death. At noon, the earth became dark. A supernatural darkness covered the earth from the noon hour till 3 p.m. in the afternoon. It wasn't an eclipse. Astronomy shows us that. It was nothing other than, it wasn't certainly anything natural. It was a supernatural act of Father God, an act of midnight darkness in the middle of the day for three hours. And everyone there, everyone there knew about it. The Bible says the darkness was over all the land. We don't know whether that's all the earth or all the land known at that time. It doesn't matter. The death of Jesus brought about three hours of darkness. That was a supernatural act of God to call attention to this mighty move that God was performing at that cross on the hill of Golgotha. And then when Jesus died, as he was crying out his death, the last things he said from the cross were, It is finished. And then shortly followed that by saying, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. At last, being a declaration of the total victory of the cross. Now it is done. It is finished. Now it is done. I commend my hands into your spirit. I know where I'm going, the Lord Jesus said. That rending of the veil is particularly significant. Calvary is the expression of it. When Jesus died, it opened up the way for us to come to God through his sacrifice. That's the only way we can come to him through the sacrifice of Jesus. That's what gives us the open door to the throne of God. So when he died and declared that, Almighty God tore the veil in the temple from the top to the bottom, from top to bottom to show that God did it and man didn't do it. It just split open supernaturally. And those people who had never seen the Holy of Holies, because this veil separated them, from the courtyard to the holy place and then the Holy of Holies, this veil, about 18 inches thick, was hanging there perpetually. There was no way to go through it, no way to go around it. Only the high priest once a year could go in there by lifting up the corner of the veil. No door to show that there was no access to man. But the high priest lifted up the veil as a usurper, went inside, spread the blood of the lamb that had been slain for this purpose to show that the blood is a sacrifice, and declared... The way to God is open when that veil was read in two. So anyone could walk in the temple and see and look, there's the Holy of Holies. It was indicative of all of God's children hereafter being able to come to the cross, to the throne of God, 
come to the very place of God's powerful, overwhelming, supernatural victory and come as individuals, not through somebody else or with nobody else coming for us. This is a miracle of Calvary. It happened while Jesus was on the cross. And then there was a miraculous earthquake. Matthew says the rocks were rent. There was a shaking, a quaking, and the rocks were rent, split open. And there was a centurion standing nearby who was the leader of 100 Roman soldiers. I dare say that centurion was the leader of the group of men who crucified Jesus. At the head of them, giving them orders, watching all of this. Others were watching it as well. What a powerful impression those who were there got about the, die, about the death of Jesus on the cross. What a powerful thing it was. That was the miraculous earthquake. And then, as a result of the earthquake, there were graves that were opened all over Calvary Graveyard. It gets a little bit disturbing to some people when they realize all that God did in such mighty expressions of supernatural power to declare the efficacy and the value of Jesus dying on the cross. So the graves were opened, and then... Right after Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible says that the saints of God came forth from the graves in the graveyard. That's another miracle of Calvary. And walked among people, making themselves known to them. That's in Matthew 27. Very clearly, it says what, what God did. So many times we talk about the cross of Jesus. And we wonder, how do we know it's a supernatural thing? God made sure by exclamation point miracle, exclamation point miracle, exclamation point miracle, again and again and again, to declare to all who would know this truth and this story, this crucifixion is an act of God. People were crucified on Golgotha all the time. It was the place where Romans practiced their capital punishment. It was their gas chamber, if you will, their electric chair, if you will. It was their capital punishment. Those who they deemed to be worthy of death, whether legally they were or not, Romans deemed them worthy of death, they were crucified. Jesus is hanging there like a common thief would hang there. In fact, he was with the thieves. There was a thief on one side of him and a thief on the other side of him. There were three crosses there, and Jesus was in the middle, two thieves dying on each side of him. What an ignominious death that was for the glorious Son of God. But that was what happened. And so as Jesus died on the cross, God wanted to establish that this death is different. This death on this cross is different from every other death that has happened here on this hill of the skull, Golgotha. And that's exactly what he did with these mighty miracles that he performed. And then, of course, when Jesus rose from the dead, there were undisturbed grave clothes. That The Bible says that they were there just as they had been placed on him. So it shows... It's there to show that his body came forth as a supernatural body, not as a natural body. The clothing wasn't taken and laid aside and rolled up on the end and left there as a somebody who used it and then departed. It was left just as it was, and Jesus came forth through it all. Another supernatural miracle testing, attesting to the fact that Jesus' death was a supernatural, miraculous death. And we have to know that, friends. We have to know that that's the kind of death Jesus died because his death on the cross is what purchased our salvation. 
The shedding of his blood is what made it possible for us to come to God as sinners, repent, believe, and be saved. I'm going to touch on that in just a moment, what the great cross provides for us. Now, go back to the miracle of the darkness. I'm fascinated by that by as much or more than any other one thing, that God would go into the heavens, shut down the light, declare a midnight hour in the middle of the day, from noon until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The songwriter said, Well, might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when Christ, the mighty maker, died for man, the creature's sin. The Roman soturion that I referred to a moment ago was standing there watching it all through the darkness, through the earthquake. Right after that earthquake is when it is mentioned that that Roman centurion standing there said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Even the world, unbelievers, unknowing, participants in his slaying, in his death, in his crucifixion, had to confess when they saw the great things that happened at Calvary, this, this man was the Son of God, sure. And we confess it with him today. We confess it all this time. This man who died on the cross died for us. This man who died on the cross died for all sinners. He died for all unbelievers. He died for everyone. And everyone who puts faith in him and claims the power of the blood of Jesus in the forgiveness of his life can receive that redemption and that forgiveness and be saved eternally by the power of this one who died on the cross and rose forth from the dead. Praise God for Jesus Christ our Lord. And because of that, Paul could write to the Romans and say, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So here's the proclamation. Because Jesus died, because his death was a divine death, a supernatural death, a planned death in the economy of Father God, we can come to him and believe, cry out with our mouth, confess, and receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. So this is the message. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confess, declare, proclaim, speak forth that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. We need to proclaim it and declare it daily and constantly in our lives. Jesus is Lord. So this is the plan of salvation. When he says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus... That is just saying, I believe in Jesus. You need to understand the things that that encompasses. When you cry out, Jesus is Lord, that means you're accepting the fullness of Jesus, his message, his sacrifice to receive his salvation. The fullness of Jesus. It's important for you to follow these steps. Everyone who needs to be saved, who is saved, this is what you did, and this is what you have to keep doing. And those who need to be saved, this is what they must do. You have to believe in the virgin birth. You can't confess that Jesus is Lord without believing in the virgin birth. I know that's supernatural too, but Christianity is a supernatural religion. You can't embrace 
You can't embrace the salvation without embracing the supernatural. It's supernatural that God can even save us, deliver us from sin and from hell, and prepare us to take us to heaven. That's supernatural. So if you're going to live this life of Jesus Christ, it's a supernatural life, and supernatural things made it possible and make it possible still. So you must believe that the virgin birth is a reality. I think that's a stumbling point for a lot of people. I'm sure it is. Why do you say that we have to believe that? Because Jesus is not qualified to be the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world as a sacrifice. If he's like any other man, he is not any other man. He is the God-man, perfect God, born of the Holy Spirit from Father God as the Son of God. And man, born of a woman, he is the man God, the perfect man God. So he's perfect and without sin, the virgin birth makes that possible. Everyone the Bible says is born into sin, not Jesus Christ, because his birth was supernatural and it was a virgin birth. So thereby he is qualified in that one thing to be the sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb who dies on the altar of the cross. And on that altar his blood is shed. And the shedding of blood transferred to the throne of God provides our salvation and our redemption. So the virgin birth is essential. You have to believe in his perfect sinless life. If you think he ever sinned in his life, and, you, and, and those have convinced you that he was like us in sinning, and you can't believe that he's your Savior. So you have to believe that he's a perfect sinless life. You have to believe his substitutionary death on the cross was a supernatural act that allowed Father God to provide salvation for us and give us forgiveness for our sins. You have to confess the cross, believe the power of the cross, the supernatural victory, the overwhelming power of the cross. You must believe that for salvation. It isn't a popular thing. It isn't the thing that a lot of churches want to talk about much today, especially as virgin birth. The miraculous part of all this is not a lot of, many churches don't want to talk about this today. Many people don't want to talk about it today. It doesn't matter. It's still the truth. It's the way God presents the plan of salvation, and His Word declares that this is His plan, and therefore there is no other plan. Do you believe that? No other plan. I read a statistic this past week that 57% of evangelical Christians believe there's more than one way to get to heaven. That's evangelical Christians, not just the whole world. I, must, I was astonished to read that. I know some have difficulty believing it, but do you know, I don't know how you can say evangelical Christian and then say, I believe there's another way to heaven other than Jesus Christ. I know this. It doesn't matter what a lot of people believe or don't believe. In fact, it doesn't really matter what anybody believes or doesn't believe. What really does matter is what Jesus said, what the Bible says. And Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the only way. I am the way, the way, the truth, the life. That's the message of salvation. And there's no other way. There's no other name, the Bible says in the book of Acts. There's no other name under heaven given among men. No other name given among all men whereby we can be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. That's the only way to salvation. And that's what the Bible and the cross and the cross so firmly declares to us. 
So the world despises it because it despises the plan of God. That's what the, that's what the, the great old song says. The old rugged cross, so despised by the world, so despised by the world, has a wondrous attraction for me. For it was on that old cross, Jesus suffered and died to ransom and sanctify me. Oh, to the old rugged cross I'll ever be true. It's shame and reproach. It's shame and reproach. Gladly bear. Till he'll call me someday to my home far away where his glory forever I'll share. Praise God. Praise God. A great songwriter of the past wrote a song called The Way of the Cross. Part of it says, The way of the cross leads home. It is sweet to know as I onward go, the way of the cross leads home. That's the way to victory. So the confession, the believing, the proclamation of all of this truth of God, this supernatural message of God, this message beyond the comprehension of the minds of men, this message greater than anything we have been ever, ever been able to declare of all the discoveries in the world, of all of the scientific discoveries that have wrought wonders in this world, of all of the things that were so phenomenal, almost beyond belief when they've happened, and all of those things taken together, are not as great as this one powerful supernatural act. No man put together this plan. No man declared that the cross is the way of salvation, the way to heaven, the way to eternal life. No man devised that. That is devised in the supernatural, in the supernatural mind of the supernatural God. This was planned from the foundation of the earth that this would be our way, our plan of salvation. So Jesus was able in the last book of the Bible to make a proclamation that lives and stands forever. I am he who lives and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I had the keys of hell and of death. That's what Jesus said. And that's what's true. And that's what every one of us must depend on, must depend on, if we're going to live the salvation life, the Christian life, the forgiven life, and arrive at the destination of our home, our heavenly home. There are a few... city here have already made plans of salvation. And I want to particularly to share this with some of you who may be watching and listening from various places. I know there are people in many states and various locations listening to this message today. I've shared with you a truth, a truth of God's Word. If you want to communicate with me about it in any way, contact this church, First Assembly, information about contacting us has been on the screen this morning, and it will be again before we close. Just contact us if you want more information about salvation. I'll make sure that you get it quickly, immediately, because this is the most important thing of your life, my friend. 
I ask you today, if you've not made a decision for Jesus Christ as your Savior, I ask you to make this decision today. I've gone into detail telling you what Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says. And I've explained it to you, I believe. I hope adequately that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, all that I've been saying to you this morning, we confess that about Jesus. And believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead. The Bible says you will be saved. So I invite you today, right where you are, wherever you are, whatever is around you, whoever's with you, I invite you right now to bow your heads and pray with me. And let me pray with you this salvation prayer. If you want to repeat it after me, you may. But just say this in your heart with me as I pray for you right now. Father, I come to you believing what I've heard the pastor say today. I believe your word is true. I believe your plan of salvation is the only way. And that way is through Jesus Christ. I accept him as my Savior today. I receive him as my Lord. And I proclaim now that Jesus Christ is my Lord. And I believe with all my heart that you raised him from the dead. And I claim my salvation based on that truth of your word. I am saved for eternity. I will go to live with you as I follow you and walk with you, Lord. And I thank you and praise you for all of this in my life. In Jesus' name, amen.